for those of you, for those of you who uh, uh, were not here a little bit earlier this morning, I was frantically typing up my slides because in the uh, busyness of, uh, of work and uh, shoveling the snow, I completely forgot to do the slides for this morning. But since we're just going, we're going through scripture, so that should be easy for everyone, right? Um, ho hopefully, you guys all have an app on your phone, well, of the Bible app, or if you brought your own Bible, that's even better. Take that out, because we are going through the book of Colossians. So, um, good morning. Good morning. Are you guys, are you guys good? Okay. Uh, we are going through the book of Colossians this, uh, this morning, and we are... We're going to pick up from where we left off last week, from uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. For those, of here, for those of you who were not here for the last few weeks, we, uh, you can catch up uh, through our recorded sermons on our website. We also have a podcast on iTunes if it's easier for you. Just a brief review on Colossians. This is a letter that was written by Paul to the people in Colossae, roughly 60 A.D., and he was writing this letter to command them uh, to remain steadfast in the true message of the gospel, that is, salvation through faith in Jesus. But Paul has never been there, but he has heard of their faith. You know, he has heard of how they were declaring the lordship of Jesus and how he had heard about how they were not only talking the talk, which is declaring the lordship of Jesus, but also they were walking the walk from the standpoint of loving all of God's people. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. So they were not just loving God's people. They were not just loving those who uh, know Jesus, but they were loving all people. So they were both talking the talk and walking the walk, and Paul was commanding them for that. And also just to um, encourage them to stay uh, as I said, steadfast to the true message of the gospel because there were a lot of people that's trying to come in already only 30 years, roughly 30 years after Jesus' death on the cross. There were a lot of people who was trying to come in and, and telling the Colossians that, yes, you, you are saved through faith in Jesus, but, but there are also other things that you need to do in terms of following certain um, uh, Jewish rituals and laws or also they need to worship certain angels or worship other beings or you need to come to me so I can share some of the mysterious wisdom that I've gained. So you need to do all those things in order, in order to really to gain true salvation or true enlightenment. And Paul was writing this letter to encourage them that salvation is only through the true message of the gospel, which is faith in Jesus. So that's just a brief background on the letter of Colossians. We, uh, last week we talked about um, Paul reminded the Colossians to say true to the message of the gospel and to remind them that they were rescued from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God. Uh, starting in verse 15, he talked about who this kingdom, who is this king in this kingdom of God. And we went through some of that last week in verse 15, 16, and 17. And I just want to really briefly give a quick summary of those verses because understanding those verses will help us to understand the next three verses that we're going to go through this morning. So um, those verses talk about who is this king in the kingdom of God that we belong to, right? So this king uh, is above all things, visible or invisible, above heaven and earth, uh, humans, angels, powers, or even human wisdom and human reasoning, human understanding. He is above all those things, whether it's visible or invisible. He has power and authority 
above all those things. And he's the reason why those things exist. And they're still existing in terms of the sun, the stars, the, the, the galaxy, our planet, you know, the earth, Mars, Venus, how those planets are revolving around the sun. He is the reason why those things exist. And he is maintaining the existence of those things. So that's the type of power and authority that he has. And he is the, and, and verse 17 sum it up perfectly if you don't have your Bible with you. So the king of this kingdom that we've been rescuing into, that we have the privilege to belong to, that we can draw strength and courage and wisdom and be envisioned by uh, and, and draw faith from. He has authority and power over everything that we see and don't see. And he has power over things that we know and don't know yet. That's how amazing he is. So he was reminding the Colossians of who is this amazing king that we've been rescued, the, the king of this kingdom that we've been rescued into. It is as if Paul, Paul was reintroducing them, or us, of who is this central character, the main reason, the only reason for the message of the gospel to have any power, and that is Jesus. I think of it similar to a, a formal introduction when, when someone would enter a, a grand hall. Did you guys, I don't know if any of you guys watch Downton Abbey. I'm, one, I'm a guy, and I will admit that I did watch that show. I did enjoy that show, by the way. Um, it's very well written if you haven't seen it. But um, So anyway, it's Downton Abbey. It's kind of like, just for you know, it's like Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing, but it's back in the old days. But it's about nothing, but it's really good, and it's really funny. So, okay, going back to what I was trying to say. So it's, it's like Paul was trying to give a formal introduction to... Um, uh, to the people of Colossians. So what happened is, uh, I used uh, the reference of T Downton Abbey is when someone would enter the room, you always, they used to have, not anymore, they used to have a person that would introduce who was coming in. For example, this is Joe Smith from so-and-so, uh, son of so-and-so in the province of so-and-so. So the, the main thing is just to acknowledge the title and the power and the prestige of who is entering the room. So that's what Paul was doing in terms of reintroducing to us and the Colossians of who is this Jesus in a formal way. So the first three verses was an introduction of who is this King Jesus that we receive redemption, the forgiveness of sin from. It's fairly impressive. It's a fairly impressive introduction. We talked about this last, uh, last week because he summed it up with he is above all things, everything, all things that we know and don't know. And in him, all things hold together. So without him, things would fall apart. There would be chaos. Things wouldn't be as we've seen them. So you would think that he was done, right? But not yet. Paul was just getting started. Those three verses from 15, 16, and 17 would be what I call a, a big picture view of who is Jesus. Now he is slowly zooming in to address how this, thank you, this incredible blow your mind, too powerful to comprehend, king applies to us as his people. Okay, so let's look at um, verse 18 to 20, to 20. Let's read through this together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, made, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So after the impressive introduction of verses 15 to 17, Paul continued with the word and. I think I highlighted that, right? The next, next slide. And, as if, if you're not impressed yet, there's more. And he is the head of the body, the church. So Jesus is the head of the body, and the body is the church. We, as followers of Jesus, make up his body, right? I think, I think this is foundational, but it's good to go through it again, because his body is the church. I want to spend a few minutes on this, because Paul actually really elaborated more on the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Jesus, this incredible king of the kingdom of God, the one who keeps everything in existence, is also the head of the church. That is who we follow. This speaks to the significance of the church. That's how significant it is, his church, his body, because we're led by the king who is too amazingly powerful to understand. So this is why we must believe in the church. I know not all churches are functioning in the way that they would resign or intended to be. However, don't let those few churches cause us to forget what the church is. It is the body of Christ, and Christ is the king above all things. He's the king of this kingdom, that he is above all things, and in him, all things were created. So he used the term the body as a visual aid to show the necessity of being a part of a body, which is a church. We know this. The body makes up many body parts with Jesus as his head. Through this visual description, it's critical for us to, um, to be a part of a body or a part of a local church because Jesus as the head is the source of life. In the next verse, it said Jesus is the beginning, but in some translation it has Jesus is the source of life. And he is the source of life. That's where if we're attached to the head, we're drawing wisdom, we're drawing knowledge, insight, uh, provision, direction, strengthening, courage, faith. So we need to be a part of a body. So, so we can be attached to the head, right? And which is where we draw our strength from and draw life from. Drawing from the one who is before all things. We talked about how incredible Jesus is. So that's why Paul was zooming down and talking about how necessary for us to be a part of a body. So if I operate, an example is if I operate on my own, not being a part of a body, or a local church, I'm just a zombie body part, right? I know there are a lot of zombie shows and movies out there. I don't know what's the fascination with zombie, but you know, as an arm detached from the body and its head does not do any good. Those body parts not attached to the body are just lifeless. It does not have the supernatural life, and eventually it would wither away and die. And as, a, as followers of Jesus, if we don't belong and commit to a local church, it could also give the wrong impression to others about the importance of being a part of a body or a member of a local church. It's difficult to point people to Jesus, to the head, if we are detached from the body, right? If we're just an, an arm by itself, where are we going to point to? Or just a leg, where are we going to point to and where are we going to draw strength from? Um, uh, and also, we're not operating in the way that Scripture is teaching us because Scripture is saying Jesus is the head of the body. This, I think I shared this with you guys many times, this is coming from someone who used to be anti-church. However, until I really got into Scriptures and realized the church is God's intention, 
in sharing his manifold wisdom to everyone all over the earth, the church, because it is a body. It is sustained by Jesus, and the church is built up by Jesus. It's not by, I'm not building. I'm not, that was, building. I should start speaking Vietnamese to you guys, and it may sound like it's tongues. I am not building this church. Jesus said that I will build my church, right? And that's through the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, the church was not built on the rock that is called Peter. Peter was not the rock or the foundation of which the church was built upon. If we go back to Matthew 16, Simon, the son of Jonah, was given a new name, Peter, because Jesus, now you are called Peter. That means a stone because God is using the living stones to put those living stones together to build his church. Uh, I know I just went off a little bit, but it's, it's important for us to keep, always keep that in mind. We need to be a part of a body of Christ. And Paul went on to say, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Uh, again, in some translation, it said he's the source of life and the firstborn of the dead. So he is the beginning, as in he is the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last. He is the firstborn. And we talked about this last week, that the firstborn is someone who has complete power and authority within the household. Back in those days, when you refer to an older son as a firstborn, that means that older son or the firstborn has complete say, and it represents the father in, in, in terms of his household. So that's the same thing in terms of Jesus' household is the kingdom of God. So Jesus is the firstborn, and he's the first, firstborn over the dead. But not only does he have power over, over the dead, as we know that he raised himself from the dead, but he can also raise all of his people with him. Knowing that, we should never be afraid of death. I mean, we don't want to die, but we should never be afraid because we believe and trust in a God that has power over the dead. He is the firstborn, what does it say? Firstborn from among the dead. So, so that's something for us to keep in mind and always realize that as we make decisions, as we go through life, we should not be afraid because we have Jesus. He has power over the dead. And also, so in everything, he might have the supremacy. So supremacy, we, we know what that word is, right? What got to me when I was studying this is so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. It, it, really, it doesn't really make sense, right? Because a few verses before, we talked about how incredible he is, how, how powerful he is, how he's above all things, and he's within all things. But what does this mean? And what Paul is trying to tell us is so that in everything, he might have supremacy. This speaks to us making Jesus supremacy in everything. He is already supreme over all things. Now, this verse is speaking to us, or rather encouraging us to make him supreme in everything in our life, in every major life decision, so our lives will reflect the supremacy of Jesus. So then we might have the supremacy. It's, it's not about doubt, having doubt about who Jesus is and his supremacy. It's more about he might have supremacy when we allow him to be. So when we acknowledge and accept that Jesus is the almighty God and he's too incredible for us to understand that he's above all things that we know and don't know so that we might give him supremacy in our lives and the decision that we make and how we live. And when we know that, we can obey and submit to Jesus because he is supreme. I just want to say something really quick because 
I completely understand this. The word obey and submit has a negative connotation within society because of the abuses of people, whether it's within the church or outside the church. People in uh, positions of authority tend to abuse their positions of authority. So the term when you obey or submit someone, everything within us, or maybe everything within me, rises up and I want to rebel because what I've known in the past of people in authorities, they always watching out for themselves. But that is not who Jesus is. This verse is telling us to make Jesus supreme in all of our lives. So we need to obey and submit because Paul was trying to say who Jesus is. He's the most powerful of them all. There's no one that is more powerful than Jesus. And not only that, we know that he would put his life, he actually did put his life on the line for us. So he loves us that much. That, so when we have that revelation and, the, and, and that understanding of how powerful he is and how much he loves us, just like we were singing that song, Reckless Love, his love for us is reckless. He's recklessly chasing after us, going after us. Nothing can stop him. That when we have that revelation, it's much easier to obey and submit and make him a supremacy in everything in our lives. So that's what Paul was encouraging us to let Jesus have supremacy over our lives. And he went on to say, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. All his fullness. Not some or most, but all of his fullness. All the fullness of the Father. He said this to counter any claims or potential claims or upcoming claims or even other philosophy or religions that, that Jesus is not, enough to, not strong enough to defeat the devil. You know, there's so much going on about yin versus yang. Someone who grew up in an Asian culture, I know that very well. So there's always like there's good and evil, there's, it's balancing out the universe, blah, blah, blah. That's not true. He is above all things. He will crush the devil. We know that. We know that, right? He will crush the devil. He just, because of his love for all things, he's giving them a little bit of time to repent. But there's no yin versus yang. He is too powerful for, for generational sins to pass on. Just to say, well, you know, because of the things that happened in, in my past, and my parents, my grandparents, and such and such, I can't fight this. Jesus is too powerful for anything to, to stand up against him. He's more powerful than any devil angelic powers that we may think that is keeping us or the chains and, and, and obstacles that's keeping us from overcoming whatever that we're trying to overcome any fears, any anxiety, any doubt he is too powerful because he has all the fullness of the father in him the father is completely and totally with Jesus and in Jesus so this is why Jesus is above all things and he holds everything together. Jesus is the firstborn. He has complete authority and power over this kingdom of God that we belong to. So this statement is saying that all of God's divinity was also in Jesus' human body. Jesus, when he was on earth, Jesus was fully man and fully God. We don't know how that happened. We can't really explain that because our human brains can't understand it. It's, it's the same thing as in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can't explain that, right? So there are things that we can't explain. We just need to accept it. And the sooner we can accept certain things that we don't know and we're not able to understand and just accept this is how God does things, the better it will be for us 
Next, you better be for those around us also. So this verse, um, for, God, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, is, is preparing us, or more accurately, informing us of who Jesus is. He has all the fullness of the Father. If we don't already know, preparing us to lead up to the next verse, which is verse 20. It said, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So let's do a quick review of Jesus. Jesus, who is above all things. Jesus, who is in all things, who created all things. All things were created through him, in him, and by him. He holds everything together. Things remain in existence because of him. And he has the fullness of God in him. So because of who he is, his death on the cross washed away all of our sins, big or small. And because of that, of who Jesus is, his death on the cross, his sacrifice is sufficient. He did that in order to reconcile all people unto himself, to restore order back to how things were meant to be originally. His blood was a sacrifice so we can all be forgiven of our sins. This is why the cross is a sufficient sacrifice. This is why Paul is emphasizing this because he wants people to know faith in Jesus and his blood on the cross is sufficient. You don't need to do anything else to be saved, to receive salvation. You don't have to, uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, you don't have to like whip yourself 20 times a day. You don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to do anything. Faith in Jesus is what will bring us salvation. There's no better sacrifice. You cannot find a better sacrifice than Jesus. There's no perfect, there's no more perfect sacrifice. His perfect sacrifice reconciles all people back to God. Another way to say this, um, to help, at least help me to understand this, is that his sacrifice made the way for us to be one with God. As Jesus is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, we, as followers of Jesus, are now one with the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Trinity was already perfect, right? It's a perfect unity. It doesn't need to include us into this perfect unity, perfect union. It does not need to include us. We don't deserve to be reconciled with God, to be part of this perfect union, but Jesus willingly, willingly went to die the most humiliating, most embarrassing, painful death so we can be included in this most perfect union ever. That is why we are forever thankful and grateful for his amazing grace. He didn't need to do this, but he brought us into that perfect union. That's why we sing to him. That's why we worship him. That's why we come together. I don't want to sing to anybody. I say this a lot. On a Sunday morning, I would rather sleep in. But because we understand who he is and what he did, we come and we show our thankfulness and our gratefulness for his amazing grace. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. That's why we lift up the name of Jesus and that name alone. And what we are being now is we're now reconciled with God through the blood of Jesus. That is what Jesus prayed about in John 17 because we're now one. I have a verse from John 17 verse 21 here that this is what Jesus was praying. That all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did I, did I get that right? I'm sorry, I was typing this like about half an hour ago, an hour ago. May they also be in us. May they also be in us. We're now one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are united. We are part of that perfect, perfect unity. His death on the cross brought us into closeness with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He died for us. The one, the one who created all things, right? I know I've been saying this over and over again, but I hope it's not going to be too um, common for you guys. The one through whom all things were created. The one who is above all things, heaven and earth, visible and invisible. The one that holds all things together. The firstborn of all creation willingly went to the cross to die for us. That's why, that's what reckless love means. He didn't need anything. He didn't need any of us. He didn't need to bring us into this perfect union. It was already perfect. But because of his reckless love, he went. Anyway, so, so that's what it means. So that we can be reconciled, be united, be one with God. When we understand that, it's easy to obey and submit to him when we know that. That is why Jesus is to be exalted and to be glorified, to be honored and to be worshipped. That's why our vision is only to glorify Jesus everywhere. Is We want to make sure that Jesus is known, is lifted up, and is to be honored and glorified because Jesus is the only one who can save. We can't save anybody. I'm pretty awesome, but I can't save anybody. I'm, I'm just kidding. We, none of us can save anybody. That's why we want to glorify him in everything that we do, wherever that we're at. Once we have that revelation of, of who Jesus is and what he did, we only want our lives to reflect the exalted status of Jesus. I want to end with, um, with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in honor of Black History Month. For those of you who may not know, uh, this is Black History Month. But I want to pull a quote from his famous speech. I think we all know this speech. I have a dream. I believe most people, when asked about this speech, will talk about his dream of equality and freedom for all people, or about the children of different ethnicity being able to, uh, to play side by side with each other, and a dream that those children will be judged by the color of their skin, not by the color of their skins, but by the content of the character. However, I believe that his speech went so much deeper than that. Firstly, I want to humbly say that it should be, I have a prophetic dream as I have seen a vision from God of the things to come. If I could change that title, I have a prophetic dream. He was using that platform on that day to share not just a dream, but share a prophetic dream of the things to come. He was pointing people, all of us, to a place where we all yearn for. Even if some of us don't know that we're yearning for it. He was pointing people to the promised land, the kingdom of God, the kingdom with a king named Jesus. Here's a quote from his speech, and I believe this section should always, always be highlighted and pointed out to everyone. This is toward the end of his speech. I'm sorry, I don't think I had time to type that up this morning, but I'll read it to you guys. I have a dream today that every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is a direct 
quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4, and Luke chapter 3, verse 5. This was written in scripture to describe John the Baptist as he was pointing people to Jesus. So Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did the same thing in his famous speech. He was pointing people to Jesus so they can see the glimpse of the promised land. The glimpse of the kingdom of God, he did this so then people can see it and helping people see the glimpse of the kingdom of God. So the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. That's from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 5. Just as what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. revealed in his speech, the Lord, Jesus, he is too incredible. He is too magnificent. He's too glorious. He's too awesome. He's too amazing. If, if, if I know more adjectives, I will throw that out. Because we learned this from verse 15 to 20. Right? For us, he's too incredible and too amazing for us to not talk about him. For us not to share with others about who he is. For us not to seek more of him to know more of who he is. Who is this person who created all things, who's above all things, and he holds all things in his hands? And that's the head of the church that wants to get to know me, know more of who I am, and went to the cross and died for me. It's too incredible. It blows your mind because if we really sit down and think about it, we as human, would you die for some stranger? Most likely no. If I can say, I probably would not. But because the love of Jesus in us, yes, we may. And Jesus did it even when we did not acknowledge him. I, I was about to go off again, but let's, let's stay on this. Um, I, I, wanna, I, I know I'm running out of time, but I want to end by saying, so let's try to be the same as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Let's continue to point people to Jesus now that we know who he is, now that we know how incredible he is. Just in a few verses, he is Amazing. So we've got to point people to Jesus and let people know who he is. Let's make the rough places smooth for people to see Jesus. Let's make the crooked road straight for people to see Jesus. Let's do this, not with what we say, but also through how we live our lives. Because when we point people to Jesus through our declaration of who he is, when we declare Jesus wherever that we go and in everything that we do, when we do that, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. When that happens, all people will glorify Jesus together, everywhere. So that's, that's what I have for this morning. And I just want to encourage you guys to go back and, and meditate on those verses, to read those verses again and slowly let those verses speak to us to reveal more to us of how incredible Jesus is through scriptures. And, and stay with us as we work through Colossians together because I, I feel this book is really helping, strengthening us and reminding us again of who Jesus is, that we can have life and life to the fullest in him and through him. So, um, so that's what I have. If I can just pray for us, just close and then pray for us. Why don't we um, 